they ran a survey of close to 800 private companies and found that those who had a formalized board saw an 87% increase in revenue and an 82% increase in EBITDA. Welcome to the morebusiness.com podcast, where our mission is to help entrepreneurs chart their path to becoming multimillionaires. No matter how big or small your company is, even if you're a one or two person startup, having a board can make all the difference in your growth. So joining me today on this podcast is one of the most highly sought after executive leadership coaches and board advisors in the Washington, D.C. area, Debbie Tyler. Debbie, welcome to the More Business Podcast. Thanks for having me, Raj. Good to be here. I'm excited to have you because you are one of the the the, the biggest experts I know on this topic. And a lot of people think that, oh, should I have a board? Should I not have a board? Really, everybody needs a board, but then they get confused. Board of advisors, board of directors. So let's start out with this question. What is the difference? So I get this question a lot. And one of the big differences is fiduciary responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the majority of the time and almost all the time, the boards of advisors do not have fiduciary responsibility. But I'd almost love to back up and say, before you, we talk about the differences, why are they even want exploring why they want the board of advisors or board of directors? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think if you, as a, as a CEO, as a business leader, what are you trying to accomplish? What is your vision? for having this board. So if I need um, unvested, unbiased feedback, uh, a board of directors, a lot of the times is vested in the business. They own part of it. They've been, and so, uh, or you're hiring them and paying them substantially well to, to serve you. Now, what they both have in common, boards of advisors and boards of directors, is that they're serving the company. They're, they're there to serve you. When I'm serving on a board, I'm doing just that. I use that word, sir, right? I am there to help that company, to help that leadership team, to help that CEO. So what I have seen different is that people create boards of advisors that serve a specific purpose, like sales, marketing, and business development. Mm-hmm. And they might have individuals there who are for that purpose. Or it just could be an inexperienced newer company where they're seeking that mentorship and guidance out of people who've been there and done that. Versus mm-hmm. a more formalized board of directors. Is that that? Yeah. Is so that, you're, yeah. basically, you're trying to fill in the gaps of the skill sets that you um, don't have as much experience with, right? So, you know, to your point, if, if somebody's really good, maybe they're an accountant actually starting a company and they know a lot about finances, but they're not as skilled in marketing or sales, that that's where you would add the value. And, and vice versa. I mean, when you think about it, oftentimes your lawyers, your accountants are uh, to a degree your advisors just by by default, because you you need that. And the last thing I want to do is go get an accounting degree. But trust me, that is not my favorite thing to be doing. Um, so, Wait, Raj, can I add uh, something there? And that's one reason why a lot of times the, your CPA and your lawyer are not serving on your board, because you're already paying them for that mentorship, that advice. Right. And, and it's more rare to see them also participating in that way. In that capacity. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so... So, so there's those ways that boards add values. Now, I remember uh, when you and I had talked about this conversation prior to the, to recording, uh, you found some statistics about how much more growth a company could exp- when they actually have a board. Could you share that? Oh yeah, you're talking about the Lodestone Global Report on private private companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2016, they ran a survey of I think close to 800 private companies and found that that those who had a board 
a formalized board saw an 87% increase in revenue and an 82% increase in EBITDA. So it's significant. And that's from, from Lodestone. They have great research. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I mean, almost doubling your growth just by having a board. Uh, and is this a board of advisors or a board of directors? Or is it uh, like, do they differentiate in the, in the survey? You know what? I'd have to go back and check. But my understanding was this was from having a board of directors. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty impressive growth uh, and certainly justifies why you would want to have a board. Um, so let's talk about that. Like, what kind of board do you need? When do you need it? When should you bring them on? And then we'll talk about uh, basically the structure uh, of, of what that could look like. How many people should be on a board? That kind of thing. So let's start with board of advisors. When do you need that? Well, you know, you, you need it. You need it when you want to go beyond what you already have now, right? So you want someone to be looking at your backswing, as they say, and adding some additional value. But what is that value? So I'll give you some examples of, of some companies I've worked with, but one of them brought on a scientific advisory. So everyone on it had credentials, was, was affiliated with certain universities, had an academic presence that was exceptional. And uh, as they added one person, another person wanted to be involved in that. It was extremely valuable to them in, for multiple purposes. That was to hold their technology team accountable. It was to help with the strategy on the direction, but it was also to get credence in the marketplace by having those individuals involved. I've also seen a board of advisors be structured a lot like a board of directors, right? So a maybe like a pre-board of directors where at the table, the seats that were filled were people who brought similar things that the board of directors might, some experience in governance, some risks, some experience in, in financial areas and some experience in sales and marketing. So there was and connections that they might make for them. But there was, so that was a more, balance board that wasn't necessarily for a specific purpose, that board of advisors. Mm -hmm. And, and so I've seen it in different ways. Is that? Yeah. Well, okay. So how many people should you have on a board of directors? Let's say. Boom. So I'm in, so before we talk about numbers, I'm in favor of having an odd number, unless you have someone who has multiple votes, which I've seen in smaller organizations or in a VC private equity relationships, mm -hmm. but I, I like the odd number. Some small organizations may start with three and then move to five, seven. One of the studies I am familiar with said that it's growing to 10.9 as the average board number uh, in a publicly traded okay. scenario, I believe it said. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I don't know how you get 0.9 a person, but it's, it's yeah, down. averages, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. so basically, but the, for smaller companies, we're looking at single digits. I mean, it's not like you've got yeah. a large group. I always feel that too many cooks spoil the soup because you're going to have so many different directions on, on oh, not enough salt here. No, yeah, I got too much salt here. So really want to minimize the number of interactions there. Um, yeah. How do you select these board members? Because, uh, you know, I understand from the perspective of board of advisors, you want to fill the gaps of knowledge that you don't have. Uh, and another perspective could be you want to have connections that you don't have. So somebody who is well-connected inside an industry. So that scientific advisor, for example, might actually know people inside organizations that can help propel the company forward. So contacts is certainly another uh, area. 
what other types of uh, criteria should people use when they select board members? And let's talk about board of directors specifically. Okay, sure. I've worked with one CEO who already had a board in place when I met him and he was seeking a, an unaffiliated board member, hence talking to me. And what was interesting was that people had gotten on that board because he knew them. So it was a, I'm going to hire you. And trust is extremely important, but he, he trusted them. Therefore he put them on and mm -hmm. I worked with him to get him to evaluate what he really needed at that point, instead of who he knew and, and whose path. So we did the exercise where you look at a, a boardroom table and you say, what skills do I need in each of those seats? And then does the person I have today on it meet that? So what is, can I, as the, as the, now this could be different if you're being brought in already and there's a, a, a board committee that's, that's serves the purpose of bringing people onto the board and changing out the board. I'm talking about a situation with a CEO who had a board and he was evaluating adding to it. But what we did was then evaluate making the changes to it. So the criteria there started with his clear vision, his vision for what the board would do in that service to the company. What could, what did he need done? What, what did the company need to be done? Mm -hmm. And which of those people could meet those criteria. So then, then it comes to uh, interviewing. Right? So if you look at the steps, it's once you've figured out what that clear vision is and what the roles and responsibilities of each of those individuals is, you begin to interview them. And as you interview them, you may iterate that somewhat because you may meet someone and they may bring up, oh, well, on this other board, I served on these three different committees and they, they might think, well, that's very valuable. If, if I was looking for somebody who's been on an audit committee before or a finance committee or an executive committee, um, now I'm adding that to my criteria. So you, you bring up an interesting uh, topic, which is, without saying it, you're talking about term limits on boards. And so, you know, when you've got somebody and you're like, oh, okay, this is my board right now but is this the right board for me right now? This was great. They got us to the point that we're at, but it could be that some board members are no longer really adding the value that the CEO or the executive team needs. And so, uh, so how do you fix that before it becomes a problem? You start out with term limits and let's say you're a company that hasn't actually put in term limits for boards. Can you get somebody off a board when you don't have a term limit? It sounds this sticky. It's, it is sticky. It's very difficult. I worked with a consumer products company that was, uh, oh gosh, 70 years old. And uh, they had some board members who had been around nearly since the beginning of that business. Wow. Yes. It's just a long time. And while I, you know, some people will argue age, you know, when they're talking about diversity and the, and the makeup of the board, to, and they'll say, oh, well, that person, they're not going to be an expert in cybersecurity because of their age. Well, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true, right? It could be, there could be a real cybersecurity expert right there who just has studied it and been involved in six mm -hmm. other boards and knows exactly what needs to be done for technology uh, and security within a company. And they're a great person for your technology committee. But in this situation, um, the age and experience was getting in the way of taking this business to the next level. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we had to address, and, and I encouraged that organization to put some term limits in. And we had to have some very difficult conversations about some of the folks who did not want to let go because that was the main thing they were doing, how they felt valuable. But, but understanding yeah. how, how their market and their, even the board, you know, the Robert's Rules of Orders, the approach to the board dynamics was different than what they wanted to reference from the 1970s and their experience in the 1970s. So very, very different situation now and then. But it mm-hmm. can be done and it should be done. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe people should overstay their welcome at all. Let me, let me, let me push you on this one a little bit. So what does that conversation sound like? Mm -hmm. Got a board member. They're not really fit anymore. How do you start that conversation? What do you say to them? Well, one thing that's worked is asking them what they're looking for. What, why are they staying? What, what value do they believe they're bringing to the board that someone else could not bring and then understanding why it matters to them sometimes in several situations raj i run into people who once i get into a deeper conversation with them they just don't want to let go because that's the thing that they're holding on to that's making them feel valuable in the business world because they've been there so long it's part of their identity at this point too yeah part of their identity so if you can help them find some other valuable way to serve Hey, there's this organization score and you could be a mentor there. And there's so many companies that would value. Mm-hmm. There's other organizations that would value the board experience you've had here. But mm-hmm. right now, you're not providing the value to this organization that mm-hmm. this organization needs to go to its next phase. Okay. But, but just make sure yeah. they understand their, their experience is valuable somewhere and help them find where that is. Let's, uh, let's talk about board members to avoid. Sometimes, sometimes, and, and this is something that I've seen happen. Boy, you get into a board meeting, you're like, oh, well, how's this person even on the board? They've got a conflict or they're just abrasive or like what, did they just bring in a bunch of money and that's how they got on the board, which happens. And so, uh, so tell me, what kind, of, what kind of people should you really avoid on the board? Well, I, I think you should avoid those who, I believe that having skin in the game can provide a lot of value. But if they're more focused on the money back in their pocket than the, the money, the profit and the performance of the company overall, that's very dangerous. And I've seen that happen where that board member keeps voting or keeps pushing decisions or objecting to other decisions. For example, when to sell the company, when to exit, taking yeah. an offer that, that's, that doesn't justify valuation, right? Yeah. Um, you're, yeah. you're nodding, so you know what I mean. I, you know, I've seen so many times when uh, I've talked to CEOs and th- they have board members that are absolutely driving them nuts. Yeah. And they just wish that they'd never taken money from this board member, this, their, their, their VC firm or whatever. Because oftentimes when you get venture funding, you know, that comes with, all right, we'll give you money. We get at least one seat on the board. Usually that's, uh, that's something mm-hmm. that kind of comes with the table. So as you continue to get more and more funding, you know, I guess like board members can transition out, things like that. But, but I have actually, I've seen people who really think they're like wildly experienced 
and maybe they had one or two lucky breaks and, and, or maybe one lucky break and they got a lot of money from like writing a company and they feel like they really know a lot. And I've talked to them like, you don't know anything about this industry. Oh my God, I can't believe I'll let you on this board. So, so those are, I guess, like some things to avoid too. Sometimes though, board members look at, uh, uh, investments as just building up their portfolio. So they want to tie a bunch of companies together. Um, is that the right move for, for, for companies to just say, okay, well, we'll go ahead and that way we can connect with all these other companies. Is that a good, good approach for getting a board member onto someone's got a portfolio of companies that you might match with? Yeah, I've worked with several, several, uh, investment organizations, as well as several CEOs and businesses where they are in the process and have decided to, to accept money from that organization to be part of that family, part of that family for shared services purposes, part of that family, because ultimately one of those companies require each other. And that can be a valuable decision financially as, as well as from a, well, financially for both parties. And, and, um, but I've also seen it not work where someone's acquired a company or invested in a company and they thought it would help them with hurting portfolio companies. And that puts a lot of pressure on this high performing company that they just invested in mm. to bring up the other ones to their, their level. And you might be hurting that company in the process. And I've seen that happen. I, I want to backtrack to something you said a minute ago and, and counterpoint also on we were talking about difficult board members, but, but there's also, it's on the CEO to have those difficult conversations. And a lot of times the CEO is hesitant for a variety of reasons to have those difficult conversations. It could be because it affects their compensation. It could be because they don't know how to have those conversations, but learning how to have that difficult conversation with those board members. It's not always the board member that's the problem. Sometimes it's the it's the, the leader. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. The that's yeah. right. Yeah. Let's talk about compensation for boards. Okay. Now, this could be for board of advisors or board of directors. Um, do you have to give somebody equity? Um, what are some examples of of compensation packages that you've seen work? Yeah, for both, you, for both board of advisors as well as share. It, sometimes it's based on the the life cycle or phase of the the organism, the business that I've seen the variations because early stage companies all all they have is to give some level of of equity or or um, future future earnings in some way, right? They they a lot of times that's all they have to give. But I've seen a combination of things done for boards of advisors. I've seen that there's an annual retainer and then a payment, you know, quarterly or by board meeting and where it's all cash or some level of cash and equity or future earnings. I've also seen people where it's full, full equity and no compensation, uh, that is cash. And, and I've seen ranges too. I've seen people where they're getting $500 a month to be part of something and where they're getting $25,000 a month as a, mm -hmm. as a board director. So what, what are you getting for that? So it's, it's what you can afford, but it's also what that person's willing to work for and what do they bring to you? Mm -hmm. so but that's yeah, also, it's quite a range. 
and 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 giving equity is not required by any means. It's it's just uh, one thing to use as an incentive to get a certain type of board member. I know, for example, I'm on the boards of several companies, and and I usually don't take on being on a board unless there's some sort of equity component because I want to make sure that I'm fully aligned with if I'm gonna you know I'm gonna help them grow. Uh, I want to participate in that growth too. So that's that's usually a criteria for me personally as a as a board member. And I know other people may have their own criteria too. I actually get a little concerned when somebody only wants cash, um, mm-hmm. especially when you're a small company, uh, because um, you know I start to wonder well, like like mm, don't you want to participate in this? You know we're looking to build this thing really big. <laughs> so if they only want cash, to me it's a little bit of a red flag. I was talking to somebody the other day that actually had that. Yeah, our one board member only wants cash. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think there's some truth to what you're saying, but I also think there are there is value in having someone who's making decisions not based. In other words, they're bringing a completely true different perspective to you. But mm-hmm. in the majority of cases, based on early stage companies, yes, you, you do yeah. want them to have skin in the game in in, in that way. Yeah, you want um, them to participate in that growth. Um, Absolutely. How often should CEOs communicate with their board, and, and how should they, how should they communicate? Is it just an email? Is it a call? What's the best yeah. way? Frequently, Raj, but Frequently. a lot of a lot of the uh, business leaders are hesitant to to increase their frequency because then they think that either they're bothering their board or they're the board's going to meddle, right? So this goes back to a high performing board right. and and that board relationship between the uh, executive team and the board, right? It means to Frequently be means yeah. what? Weekly, every two weeks, every month, quarter, what's frequently? So so this is an interesting area because to me, it, you, you want to do it at least monthly. I don't, if you've gone more than a month without some level of communication with your board, then you know, they're not engaged enough and you're not valuing them enough, I would mm-hmm. say. So at least monthly, uh, I would want some touch point. And there are, look, there's a lot of technologies that will help you with this, right? There are a lot of technologies that exist that will help you with the communication, could be creating a newsletter, helping you with the, the PowerPoints pre-board meeting. A lot of people say, oh, it's most effective if you get the, the board package to the, the board a week prior. Uh, it, so it gives them time to read. Yeah. I, I think, you, you, you know, you can do it a day before as long as they know that they need to allocate time the day before to do it. So I don't think some of these rules of, of thumb are helpful to everyone. But I do think if you use some of these technologies out there for uh, communication, it'll help you with the cadence and it will help you. There's There's a couple of big packages out there um, Board Vantage, which is the National Association of Corporate Direct um, uh, certified technology that you can use that will help you with with um, communicating. They can share things with you. You can share things with them. It mm-hmm. also help you not forget to do certain things as a mm-hmm. leader of that organization. Mm-hmm. There's Diligent, which is another great package that will that boards of directors can become accustomed to using some of these packages so you know you can see things securely mm-hmm. on your on your devices anytime and and send 
uh, wins or uh, important notes or concerns uh, to folks on a pretty regular basis. If without, you know, it'll have, you want that dashboard too, that anybody can see where your performance is at any given time. Yeah. It's good for accountability. Mm-hmm. It's also good from bi-directional communication with the board is very important. So you were asking about yeah. time. This takes time. If you're really wanting the value out of it, you've got to spend time. I find the dashboards really worked well because uh, not only is it important for you to see, but I think, you know, when you show your board the dashboards that you're looking at that help you make some decisions, they might spot something on the dashboard that, uh, you know, that they can drill down on. I was having a conversation with one of the companies that I advise, and they're showing me their dashboard. And I was looking at, uh, there's one metric that was credit cards not processed. And it was like, couple of thousand. I'm like, why are there a couple of thousand credit cards not processed? Oh, Stripe takes care of that for us automatically. I said, something's wrong there. Take a look, look, look deeper because why are those credit cards not getting processed? And so as they dug deeper and deeper, there's some glitch in the communication that if somebody's credit card didn't work the first time, that was it. That was the end of the story. I'm like, well, why don't you send them a follow-up? Isn't there like a way to just do something quick? Like, oh, a little typo in here. Just make sure those things are happening. And that alone will start to increase revenue with just that simple thing. And it was something that the company just looked, but sharing that with a board member, they can spot little things. Now, the example I gave is maybe on the extreme side because, you know, it's a younger company, they just didn't happen to spot that. But there's lots of other things I think a, a board uh, could actually identify. So that's that's really important. Um, in terms of frequency, I, I love the newsletter idea. Uh, so I, you know, what I used to do is I used to send a newsletter out probably, I think actually the email is probably every two weeks, uh, which which was enough because every week I felt like, oh my God, this is a grind. What do I got to tell them? There's nothing really big happened in the last week. But every two weeks, there's usually something that happens. And the other thing is if there's bad news, you don't wait the two weeks. You got to talk to them right away. How do you break bad news? That's difficult. Gosh. I mean, That's a breaking, difficult one, right? It, it, is, it is difficult because, but it has to be done. And I, and I think you do it by by being prepared for how you as the leader are going to handle that situation. Mm-hmm. If you if you're if you come to them with a problem but you don't have any solutions, then and you're just saying, what do I do about this? Yeah. You're yeah. out. You're out. But yeah. yeah. I uh you know, so I used to have and and so so pardon the way I have to express this, but this is really how I felt. I used to have these things with my board of advisors and as one particular advisor. And I used to call them shit on Raj days. And it was, I would go to lunch and I would explain everything that's going on. And I would come out of that lunch feeling like two inches tall. It was, it was a tough conversation. And I remember when, you know, when they're asking you these hard, very legitimate questions that you don't have answers to, you do feel small, you feel unprepared. And you feel like, oh gosh, what are they doing? And you almost feel attacked personally, but that's not really what they're doing. They're looking out for the best interests of the company. And it wasn't until I started shaking that off and thinking, okay, they're actually looking at what we should be doing. Let me just think through everything they recommended and start doing those. Once I really internalized that, I started becoming a better business person. And I can see why that statistic that says, if you have a board, you can practically double your sales very quickly. I can see why that's the case because the moment I started doing that, we started accelerating really fast. In a matter of years, we, you know, multi-million dollar company. 
to exit to a public company. And so it was because I listened to my board, no matter how hard it is to listen to your board. So that's, uh, I think just for anybody listening out there, if you feel small after a board meeting, it's okay. It's normal, right? Absolutely. You're there to, and that's bravo for getting to that point, Raj, because it's hard to do. And you're well, there to direct and yeah. protect, right? It, it but, wasn't a fast process feels, by any means. It took me a while to get there, but I eventually got there. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, if they're, if they're that you eventually got there, right. But you, you were aware of it and then you, you leaned into it. And if they're there and they're there to direct and protect you and you trust them and you trust in yourself, like you said, that, that moment you realize it may feel critical of me. And yes, maybe I would have done a better job, but I'm not. It's that next play concept. Um, Sign Jr. always talks about in his, in his work, which is ever happened in the past. I can't change it. So if I'm dwelling on it, then I'm doing a disservice to my employees, my customers, and my board. If I'm spending time on that. What I, and it's good to debrief and understand what happened and what we can learn from it, but we've got to move forward to that next play. And what you're talking about is, okay, I'm not going to dwell here. I'm going to move forward and have this difficult yeah. conversation. I think the way you prepare for that is you study to be more emotionally intelligent. You, you become more aware and, and of being less reactive and defensive in those conversations with your board. And once you can perform that way. You're going to have a higher caliber conversation. Mm -hmm. Now on the board members, they need to also learn to speak in a way that's not critical. Right? So if I have, if I have, if, if the board, if the company underperforms, for example, right, which I've been in board meetings where the company's underperforms, if I come across oh, as you underperformed, right, mm -hmm. now I just seem like a angry old fashioned teacher, right? Mm -hmm. And, and if I come at it as we underperformed, right, and I'm sharing responsibility and I'm on that board, we underperformed, what are we going to do about it? How do we make these changes mm -hmm. so that we don't have the same conversation at the next board meeting? And whose who's responsibility is that? And I can help hold you accountable. And how can I help? Now I'm coming at it from a healthy board member perspective. And hopefully that conversation becomes a little easier. I can still be disappointed in the performance of the executive team of the business, but I'm not being critical. Mm -hmm. Who should be in those, these board meetings? Is it just the CEO? Is it a couple of the people on the executive team? Uh, what's the right amount of people? And really, who should be in that room with these board meetings? And I'll, I'm happy to share what I've done uh, quarterly with some of the larger boards that I've been a part of. Yeah, I look forward to hearing about that, Raj, from you. I would say, based on my experience, it depends on the phase of the company. So if I'm a smaller company, more of the executive team is in that meeting, and there's probably more direct communication amongst the executive team members and the board members. I think as, as it gets larger, there still needs to be some of those people involved. Oh. From the executive team and the board meetings, especially when there's a board report where I'm sharing my performance uh, for a specific area or the CFO is going through the numbers and, and needs to be there to 
that address questions and concerns and to hear them, especially a strategic CFO, as your business is, is getting to that point where they might be looking at an exit or going public. But it, I also think there are times when it needs to be just the CEO and, and the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times, I believe the board should, the CEO should be in most of those discussions. There are times like when there's executive committee compensation meeting where the CEO right. doesn't need to be in that, right? They, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be in yeah. Um, and there may be some other performance-based uh, conversations, but these boards who leave all the executive team and the CEO out of those things, making decisions without them, probably aren't aware of, of what's happening down at, at the board level. Mm-hmm. An example I, I experienced with that is, is with a manufacturing company where the board was not talking to the executive team, would invite them to give reports and then would send them on their way. They'd have a discussion. They might even have discussions informally prior to the formal board meeting. And they wouldn't share, they wouldn't document their board notes to share with that particular uh, executive team. Well, there were things happening with a, with a specific client that, that the board did not understand or hear. And because they weren't in, involved, they were making decisions without understanding this large client was affecting a large percentage of the revenue and the future of this company, what was happening? And had they known they could have made a different, uh, that's about all I can say, but they could have made a different decision if they had been in lockstep. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's important. Um, how do you hold, let me switch to this topic now. How do you hold your board accountable? What are the systems that people can put into place? Well, I, I think some of the technologies that I mentioned before, like Board Vantage or Diligent can help with that. But I, I also believe that, that bringing in board evaluation, uh, either technologies or processes will, will help break. What's well, an example I, of yeah. the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, you're about because, to share an example. Yeah. Yeah. One board that I was involved with did not have the board performance and, and actually also had some board members that needed to, to move on when we were able to implement a 360 review process, just a basic 360 review process for the board and adjust some of the questions to be board appropriate, uh, the performance was found to be lacking and we were able to help move those folks off the board. Mm -hmm. Um, So just using the 360 review process helped in that stage. Mm -hmm. Um, Now there there are board evaluation packages that come with diligent and and board vantage, and I have no affiliation with either. They're just two of the, mm-hmm. the stronger ones where I do have experience using them. Mm-hmm. And so if they're participating, for example, it could be something as, as small as connectivity. I've seen a report that says board member one hasn't even logged into the board portal in six months. Oh, right? six wow. Months and yeah. That's not acceptable. Whereas the other ones are logging in once a month or you can twice see how a month engaged they are. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. If they're not engaged, they're just kind of collecting the equity, collecting the compensation and not really participating. So you really need to make sure that they actually are viewing the things that you need to see. Yeah. Um, that's good to know. You know, the, once in a quarter, so one of, one of the companies I was part of we had uh, quarterly meetings and, uh, and I got to say the company was really, um, struggling for a little bit, uh, eventually grew, but, uh, during that struggling time, 
those board meetings were not something that I, or I think anybody looked forward to. And so usually it would be the C-suite that would be part of it, not necessarily the technology team of the C-suite, but perhaps the CEO, the COO, um, and, and other like C-suite members that were uh, relevant and they'd come in for their part of the, the conversation and so on. Uh, and, and I think it, some of the conversations were very eye-opening, um, but it was a, it was a quarterly meeting and we would prepare for days and days uh, prior to that, making sure all our decks were aligned and everything. Um, and I think those are good exercises to go through because oftentimes companies who don't have, have boards don't have the discipline to take a look at what's going on inside the company. And I, I can share what happened when I sold one of my companies. When I got the due diligence, so we got an offer on one of my companies. We're like, okay, fill out this due diligence spreadsheet, which is weeks and weeks of full-time work for a whole bunch of people. These spreadsheets are not small by any means, right? They're massive data rooms. You've got to look at all kinds of things. And had we been doing the kind of stuff that these due diligence spreadsheets asked all along, which is some of the things that boards actually ask you to do, we have been so much more prepared. Now, thankfully, everything worked out. We, we actually got acquired um, and you know, that was one of my exits, but uh, I remember thinking, my gosh, we should be doing this stuff all along. And this is the kind of stuff a board would give you that discipline to actually do. Again, going to the point of why they companies with boards grow so much faster. Yeah. And Raj, when you were doing that, did you also ask them questions? So as you're preparing all that material, as you're, you're getting everything ready and you're spending all that time, it, it, you know, did you ask them questions so that you make sure you're getting a response? So something that in, you talked about engagement. So if you're saying, uh, questions I've seen is what else do you think we should be doing to mm -hmm. resolve this? What mm -hmm. with other yeah. boards you serve on, how have the companies handled X, Y, or Z? You know, so just something that allows them to bring their experience, their opinions, um, and you can gather that feedback. But now they're not just reading what you've prepared or discussing with you. They're thinking about a specific question and you can share the, res the results with them and say, you know, you have seven board members and five of them responded. And here's what the five of them said. Maybe now you'll get a response next time from the other two. Mm -hmm. That's a great yeah. way to phrase it. Peer pressure, nothing like it, <laughs> even at the board level. Yeah, getting others to, to step up. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's really uh, important too. Uh, Debbie, you and I are both avid readers. We love looking at books that might help us enhance our skill set and our understanding. What are some of the books that you read and that you would recommend to people who are listening in on how to manage a board uh, effectively? Yeah, well, Base, if, if they've never served on a board before or they're, they're needing to learn because they're about to have their own board, I'd say there's a, there's a book called Chairman of the Board. Uh, Ryan, I can't remember the author's last name. Wonderful book on the basics. You know, goes through everything from Robert's Rules of Order to just understanding how each person should perform, what you should be looking for out of your minutes. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's involved in, in the formalization of your board's performance and activities, um, ratifying it topic. So it's a good book there. There's, there's also another good one called across the boards. That one's very strong on 
giving you some information as to why you should be aiding this board if anyone's questioning why they should be doing it. Um, and, and also some of the key things you need to do as you're setting, setting it up. There's another good book just for uh, business leaders if they're in the small to medium size companies that I think is very strong. That is, um, I believe it's a year with Peter Drucker. It's uh, mm -hmm. 52 weeks to, and it has some reference to board, but also just the basic leadership tenants that you need to be thinking of for running your company. Yeah. And a similar one, but very similar concept, but very different is the hybrid handbook, which also has a section on what does it mean to be a CEO? How do you be that high-performing CEO? What are you not doing? You talked about when you were a new CEO. I know when I was a CEO the first time, I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome. You know, what, what do I, what am I supposed to do? How do I behave differently? And it, what tasks should I be doing? And what should I be delegating? And books like this are very helpful in that way. I also think that one has a great chapter on uh, on boards too, and what you should expect from your board. Yeah, being a CEO is 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 a wonderful experience, and I am I am uh, it's it's one of the most cherished parts of my life. Um, but I tell you, there's no manual book, training course, or something that teaches you how to be a CEO because everything is different. You know, you can take courses on leadership, you can take courses on X, Y, Z, but boy, <laughs> that's uh, being a CEO. There's just something around the corner that you don't know uh, is going to happen, and you really need to manage it. I love the comment that you had earlier about emotional intelligence, both on the CEO or executive team's part, as well as on the board's part, because I think that's that's the only way you're really going to get issues on the table uh, to the point you can get to resolution. Otherwise, it just becomes a conflict. And so, um, so being emotionally intelligent about how you phrase your words. Is pretty critical uh, from both both perspectives. Raj, if I can add to that, I heard Don Reen, who is speaks on in, employee engagement and, and uh, employee retention, talk about the neuroscience behind your gut and the neuroscience behind decision decision making, but also engaging. And it is fascinating because if you're going into your board meeting and you you know you feel one of the members isn't participating or you feel you can't trust. And this goes to your executive team as well. Mm -hmm. The trust is there, the engagement is there. There's something behind that feeling, that emotion. And so being aware of it and trying to figure out how much of it is what I'm bringing to the table, what I'm projecting on them versus how much reality might be there and how do I carefully confront that so that we can resolve this, this uh, head trash, this mind garbage over, over what may or may not be a real conflict. Because that mm -hmm. conflict resolution is what, is what will help remove non -per for performance. Mm -hmm. the, the high performance is when, and that's the other thing about a board. You don't want a board where everyone just says, yes, 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 I agree, I agree. One that's a pointless board, right? A it's pointless a pointless board. Yeah. You don't want a bunch of yes people on your board. Oh gosh, mm -hmm. you need, you need to have a healthy tension, healthy conflict, because that means you're actually growing. And when you think about going to the gym, anytime you actually build muscle is when you've got a little bit of pain. You never build muscle with just, oh, you know, la-di-da, I went to the gym and I'm back. You really gotta, you really gotta have a little bit of tension. So yeah, very true.
Raj, what you said just about it, it just made me think about also where there are these industrial psychology that people can leverage to understand also holes in their board or holes in their executive team. So you look at it, if it's a pie, right? And each is a, each skill set's a piece of the pie. Well, how I show up and what type of person I am that these, you know, like predictive index or culture ID or any of these can share with you uh, what you may be missing. If everyone on your executive team is more driver, captain, uh, you know, salesperson, blue, whatever, you know, if I'm using the identity mapping, if everybody's there, then you don't have anyone who looks at it from a logic perspective. So you do want to, to balance your uh, team to have a little bit of everything so that you don't have everyone say yes on a particular area. Does that make sense? I just wanted to yes. bring that up. Yeah. Yes. And I, just to, to close out, I'd like to give a shout out to Vistage, which is a group that you're a part of. You're a chair at Vistage. I was in Vistage for a dozen years while I was running my companies, and I found it to be one of the best, I guess, informal board of advisors you could ever ask for, because you are part of a peer group of other CEOs who are running companies. And you know what, regardless of the type of company you're running, uh, we had one company that was a glass distributor, another that was a healthcare organization, another was an interior design company. I came in as a software company. We all have the same problems. We all have the same problems. And they usually center around some sort of um, HR people related types of yeah. issues. And, and, uh, and, and even, well, how do you sell your company? What are the questions? And having a group of peers, CEOs, who feel the same pain that you do is unmatched. And so uh, thank you for being a Vistage chair. I encourage anybody who's looking for a really like jumpstart to get a board of advisors, join Vistage. It is going to be one of the best personal development investments uh, you will think. I, 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 and I love their slogan. Uh, uh, was it better leaders? There's something better decisions, better, better leaders, better decisions, better, better leaders. Better. I, I can say I, I, uh, I have, uh, I remember one, one time I was having a conversation about whether I should pursue a specific line of business and, uh, it would have cost us a few hundred thousand dollars to get into that business. And several people in the room were like, yeah, like every, you know, cause I presented the case that we should. And there was one guy in there, there was a venture capitalist. And he's like, don't do it. It's like, why? And he said, I've seen too many companies chase rabbit holes. You're about to do that. So I thought about it for a minute. I was like, okay, let's not do it. And within months I saw markets turn. We did some focus group stuff. And that guy was absolutely right. I would have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars had it not been for that one almost flippant comment that said, don't do it. And I wouldn't have gotten that had I not been part of that group, that advisory group. It can work wonders for your business. Debbie, thank you so much for joining. I, I really appreciate our conversation. I think anyone tuning in learns, uh, will learn a lot about boards from this conversation. Thanks again. Thanks, Vash.